Hello, thanks for joining us for week three of From Redemption to Consolation between Pesach and Shabbat where we are moving our way from understanding some of the lessons of Pesach, of the original redemption, and of the way we celebrate that redemption throughout the, our time in history, and moving from there to Tisha B'Av and the lessons of the destruction, which we hope can lead us to lessons of consolation. So just to line up where we are, we're finishing today our discussion of the Omer, one of the remarkable, or one of the halachic, I should say, one of the halachic elements of the holiday of Pesach was its progression from Pesach to Shavuot. You have an Omer offering, aside from the historical issues, you have an Omer offering, you had the barley offering on Pesach, then you have the count, which we discussed last time and the time before. It's got the Omer, then the count. Now we're up to the Shtei Alechem and how it brings together the agricultural elements of the experience. And I'm going to try to show today and links it to the Torah elements of the experience, the giving of the Torah, and then try to figure out what those two being linked with each other teaches us about what God wanted from us as we built our lives in the land of Israel. In coming weeks, we'll talk about what the nature of an ideal Jewish polity, an ideal Jewish uh, country, an ideal Jewish political uh, and social uh, entity would be in Israel. And then we'll move into issues of Tish Ab'av and of how we got to sin and how we didn't avoid sin as much as we should and the way we can get back to a full life. So that's a brief sort of roadmap of where we're going that I probably should have offered uh, earlier in this uh, series. So if you're still here with me, even though I didn't offer you that roadmap, I appreciate that. My father, Allah Shalom, once told me about taking a course in uh, about entering a second year course, whatever the course was. He did a second year course and then all of a sudden became clear to him. And I said to him, I don't understand. If the first year course wasn't so clear to you, why did you take it another time? So he said, because I liked it a little bit. So I'm hoping you've liked this enough to join me again. If you have, I appreciate that. And as always, if you have questions or comments, my email is grothst at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So after we count the seven weeks of Sirat Omer until the day after the seventh week, right? Till the 50th day. And that's going to lead us to, uh, to Shavuot. So the Torah says, You're going to offer a new offering to God. Right? From your living places, you're going to bring, bring a bread of waving. Now that bread is going to be an important thing. It's going to be two. They're going to have whatever it is. They're going to have solatiana, made of fine flour. But then the verse says, this is in Vayikra Chav Gimel 23, which we are reading right around now, depending where you are in the world, reading right around now when you would be listening to this. And it says about them, they're going to be chametz. Now, that's an unusual idea, as we'll see. Chametz means leaven. So most sacrifices have no leaven to them. Whenever we talk about flower offerings in the Torah, it is almost always matzah, not matzah like Ashkenazic matzah, or even Sephardic matzah. It was thick matzah, but it was baked quickly enough that it wasn't allowed to rise, so it was matzah. But this offering, the other example is a korban todah, is a Thanksgiving sacrifice. That's going to be made of chametz. Thanksgiving sacrifice, not all of its loaves of bread were chametz, but some were. So in any case, then we offer these lechem, with the lechem, with these breads, we offer seven sheep, Right, and they're waved, and then in verse number 21 there, the Torah says, Ukratem be'etzem hayom hazem mikra kodesh. On that day, you're going to call a mikra kodesh. On that day, you're going to call a holiday. It seems like the holiday is a shtehalechem holiday. It's a holiday that's 
in, integrally linked, that we start the holiday the night before. When the Torah refers to it seems to sort of be telling us that it is the action of bringing the Shtei HaLechem that sparks the holiday. So we need to understand what's the role of the Shtei HaLechem. Now, Rashi points out that the Torah here referred to it as a minchachadasha, a new flower offering. So, so the re, what that means is that this is in fact the first offering from new grain, right? That's what it means. So all throughout the year, there's lots and lots of grain offerings, right? Every every korban has a mincha. Every sacrifice, animal sacrifice, or most animal sacrifices have a mincha that come with it. Have a flower offering. There are flower offerings of their own that are just flower offerings. Those all come from flour. They don't come from chadash, from the new grain. As we spoke about when we spoke about the Omer, the Omer allowed regular people to eat the new grain. Any grain that's planted after, that takes root after Pesach, is not available. Now, we usually say until the next Pesach, until the Omer is off. That's true. But for the temple, for the Beit HaMikdash, it's not available until Shavuot, until the Omer, until the Shtei HaLechem, the two breads, have been brought. So that's what the Torah refers to as a bin chachadash. Of course, obviously, the Omer was brought from the new grain. So I said, it's true, but it's different because the Omer comes from barley. So we already have, and I think this is going to be an important part of the picture, that we're now finding out that when we talk about this Omer offering, it's a progression. And that's why there's a count. As we hit a new year, agriculturally, and we're having a new harvest, and we're having a new reaping, we set aside, first we notice that God gave it to us and we don't benefit from the new materials until we give some to God in the form of the Omer. And then in our temple, we don't bring from the new materials as offerings to God until we've had an offering and we have a process together. Why not bring the Shtei on Pesach and have the Shtei just on Pesach already be, uh, be the way that we offer new offerings to God for the new flower. So that's not the way for the new grain. So that's not the way God set it up. And the question is, why didn't God set it up that way? What's the point of this progression? So the Ramban on Chumash makes two comments that I think are, are relevant here. First, he says that they're chametz, lefishahim todah, because they're a thanksgiving offering to God. And the thanksgiving offering is that the harvest has gone well, that God kept the, Ramban calls it chukot katsir. Now, Ramban is well known to say in several places that he thinks it's not accurate to speak about nature, that God runs the world always. So when he says chukut katsir here, he means what we're used to when it comes to harvest. There's a general pattern. So the Ramban is saying that there's the Thanksgiving offering to God for the fact that the patterns are being held up because they're not inherent patterns in the world. We thank God for them. So, and a korban toda is offered, a Thanksgiving offer, offering is allowed to be brought from Leaven bread. Now, he doesn't say why. So he says here, perhaps, I mean, the Torah doesn't say why, or he doesn't, we don't know directly, it's not obvious that a Thanksgiving offering should be from chametz. So he says, perhaps the reason that chametz is prohibited on all other sacrifices. Now, that's an interesting point. I think it's, I've seen a few times where Ramban will raise a question whose answer I would have thought was obvious. If you said to me, why is it? that we don't want chametz in the Beit HaMikdash, I think I would have said, I think probably many Jews would have said, well, we know from Pesach that chametz isn't great. So the Beit HaMikdash, the temple and its offerings are all holy and sanctified. So it kept the Pesach values. 
The Ramban does not answer that, and I think that suggests, and I think it's an important suggestion, that Chalmets isn't inherently bad. Chalmets is bad on Pesach for Pesach reasons that are not our topic right now. It's because the Ramban here says, perhaps the reason Chalmets, leaven, is usually prohibited in the temple for offerings is because it, it hints at or it raises the specter of the Midat Hadin, the attribute of justice. Why? Because what, he, he relates the word chametz to chomet, to vinegar. Just like wine goes bad, so it's called chomet, so here too, maybe it's like bread becoming chomet, and it reminds us uh, that it has a strictness to it. Right? You leave wine over its time, it just goes bad, there's nothing to do about it. So chomet, he's suggesting leaven, has an element of an indication of the midat adin, the attribute of justice. In Korbanot, sacrifices are not about the attribute of justice, and therefore we never bring them from chametz. However, however, right, um, when it comes to the shtehalechem and thanksgiving offerings, right, so there we're talking about that in the creation of the world, God had the attribute of justice and the attribute of mercy, and he put them all together. Shavuot, says the Ramban, is the holiday of the giving of the Torah. So we bring a korban, a sacrifice, according to the full din Torah. He says, they held over from Pesach. Maskilyavin usually means you have to have Kabbalistic knowledge to understand it. But he says that's the reason that the rabbi said that in the future all of sacrifices will be nullified, but not korban toda, not not um, not thanksgiving offerings, because they combine matzah and chametz, like will be in the world to come. So I'm not a Kabbalist, but I believe what the Ramban is suggesting is that usually in a sacrifice, we're turning to God and we're saying, God, we just want you to look to us with, as it were, compassion or or forgiveness or giving us more time and more room to improve. We're asking God implicitly to ignore something in the world, which God will do for us because that's what God set up the world and that's what God deals with. That's called the Midat HaRachamim. When it comes to Chametz, so Chametz, the Ramban thinks like has a Midat din aspect to it, has a strict justice aspect to it, and I think that has to do with it from the way, from the vocabulary he brings, it has to do with the idea that wine just goes bad. There's just rules of the world and rules of nature that have to be followed. And if you leave wine and it goes bad, that's just the way the world works. So when we bring the chametz, and the same thing is somewhat true of, of yeast that rises. So when we bring chametz, we're thinking about the rules as they are. Whereas most of the time we're going to God in the Beit HaMikdash and saying, please help us not have to play with the rules by the, as they are. But when God created the world, justice was supposed to be there. And then later, so with the Ramban is suggesting maybe just supposed to be there, and later God put in the attribute of mercy, and we get used to just focusing on that. But really, in the world to come, when the world is most successful, it will combine the justice and the compassion or the understanding or the readiness to, to forego things in the name of overall improvement. And, and, and that's what the world's going to look like. So when we come to God with thanksgiving, so with Thanksgiving, we're not coming because we're wrong. We're coming just to celebrate. So there, it's perfectly fine to have rules that have to be followed. So we can have chametz mixed with the matzah. Because as I said before, the Thanksgiving offering has lots of loaves of bread. So there we'll have some of them will be chametz and some of them will be some of them will be leaven and most of them will be matzah. When it comes to our shteilachem, so he's saying that Shavuot, the time of the giving of the Torah, 
the time of the giving of the Torah reminds us of the vision of a future. It's the vision of the future that I'm trying in our series here to rejuvenate for us to think about more because that's when we get to, or closer to, the times of the Mashiach. So in that time, then we can bring up the Midat Adin because it's a time when people will be functioning at much better and much higher levels. So for the Ramban, who links, has already linked, Shavuot to being Atzeret, a holdover from Pesach, and he's saying, he doesn't put the agricultural element of it, but he's saying we're reaching from the day of the giving, from the Exodus to the giving of the Torah. In the time of the giving of the Torah, when we're going to be imagining again uh, a renewed world and a world that rock works in its proper way, it's fine to bring a korban, a sacrifice of chametz. There will be other sacrifices that day that are going to be matzah. And it'll be again a world that mixes chametz and matzah, that mixes din with rachamim. That's the first Ramadan that I put out there. And it leaves us with bunches of questions to think about for our purpose that we'll get to today. You know, what does it mean that we move from Pesach to Shavuot? What is the connection of the link between agriculture and the giving of the Torah, the leaving from Egypt? What is all that that's going on there? And what does that do with offering chametz? But first, let me share another Ramban, and then some other commentaries, and then we'll come back and put it all together. We can always help. So in the next Ramban, a few, a bunch of verses later, it's still in chapter 23, verse 36, he says, you are, Hashem set up a seven-day holiday, the first of those days, a full holiday, and the last being a full holiday. Remember that Cholom it is always part of a holiday. It's just the intermediaries, days, sorry, and that was a reminder that the Jewish people are sanctified. No, all of those days are sanctified, right? The day beginning at the end, like I was saying a second ago, it tells that the middle days are also sanctified and that that days were a particular presence of Hashem. And then we count from there, from the first of those days, or the second of those days, we count 49 days, seven weeks, which are, this year's where he said, I mentioned it last week, he says, Kimei Olam which I'm pretty sure for the Ramban mean like the days of history. The Ramban thinks that the 7-7 seven, seven cycle is, is embedded in world history in some way, which he doesn't elaborate on here. The Kidesh Yom Shmini Kishmini Shalchad. He says here, it's a famous thing that he says, he says here, Shavuot is like Shmini Atzeret, meaning in Sukkot, we have a seven-day holiday, and then we have an additional day for whatever reasons are true over there. Here too, he's saying, Shavuot is like a leftover holiday from Pesach, only instead of it coming right afterwards, it comes right after all of those days. The Hayamim Hasrim Benatayim. And then the Ramban says, and that means then that the days in between, Svirat Omer, which we are undergoing now, are like one long Cholabawai. It's like one long intermediate days of holidays. So the Ramban thinks that this time period is all sanctified, and it's Kuyom Matan Torah. We're going to get to the day of the giving of the Torah. So I have a couple of other comments I want to share, but there's no reason to push it off more. I believe the Ramban is setting up here an astounding model of what the holiday of Pesach is about, what the holiday of Shavuot is about, and what that means for us in terms of our experience of the world in general. Because remember, he said he thinks the seven weeks of the seven weeks, the seven weeks of seven days reflect something about world history. So we start with the Omer notice, and the Omer allows us to eat regular, the new grain in our regular lives. So too, the exodus from Egypt freed us from the physical slavery and the physical need to stay in Egypt in our regular lives. Came Shavuot, we got the Torah, we were then trained or shown 
how to serve God in, in religious ways, in our religious lives. And that ushered us into a whole new perspective of the world. And so too, on Shavuot, we bring the Shteh and we bring the two lobes of the new grain, and that ushers our new year into our Torah lives, into our Beit HaMikdash lives. And that's, and that's why it can be done with leavened bread. I believe there, and, there, and remember, the Ramban thinks the Omri period is all like one long Cholam away. It seems to me that the Ramban is saying that yearly we're supposed to undergo a process where we remember that moving from being ordinary people, free ordinary people, but ordinary people, into people living a life in service of God takes a time of preparation, a time of awareness, and a time of attention. And that's what the Omri is about every year. And it leaves us at a spot that when we bring the Shtehalechem, we're almost not fully in this world anymore. We're almost a little bit in the world to come because ideally we've learned how to include both the chametz and the matzah, the midat adin and the midat rachamim, the attribute of justice and the attribute of mercy, and how to combine them and put them together in a productive and useful way. So that's already one big lesson we could walk away from today about the Omer and the Shteyalechem that we've been talking about in the counting. And in the context of remembering, as the Brisker said, the night of Pesach was the same night every year as the night of Tisha B'Av, and that buried in Pesach was the seeds of destruction. And we're hoping that buried in this year's Pesach, and this year's Tisha B'Av, will find the seeds of consolation. And one of those, I think, is very much in this Ramban, that we, the more we remember and the better we remember, that being a servant of God has these two stages, has the becoming humanly free stage, and then immediately launches this into the project of learning how to take that humanity and, and channel it properly and appropriate to the service of God, leading us into a Shavuot, which is not for the Ramban a separate holiday. It's just a delayed holiday, because I think the Ramban means that we have to undergo those seven weeks of seven days in order to develop and grow and learn. And that's a thing that, that happens, I think, according to Rabban, in history as well. And it takes us time. And so you have lots of these cycles. I just recently uh, was writing up my weekly thing on the Meshachachma uh, for the parasha. And in Bechukotai, the Meshachachma gives a whole picture of the cycles of Jewish exile and the lessons that we're supposed to learn, we don't manage to learn. So here too, I think everybody's setting it up. So one step I think that we already have, and I think is uh, is useful, and I think hopefully, ideally, is productive for all of us, is the idea that every year we are taken on a process from the Omer, through the count, as we spoke about last time, through the Shteh and the offering of the two breads, which are chames, which are leaven, for the Ramban to indicate that we've moved from one ordinary human plane of existence, where what we mostly ask for from God is forbearance, to another plane of human existence where we can say to God, we feel like we're ready for the balanced world of justice along with the forbearance and to move to there. That's the way the Ramban sees it. And I think it's very, uh, very uh, worth remembering and keeping with us, especially that idea of a chalam away, of a long extended intermediate days. The clay Akar, the 16th or 17th century of Shlomo Lunch, Rav Shlomo Ephraim of Lunchitz, who was the rabbi in Prague, so 17th century, he was rabbi in Prague after the Maharal of Prague passed away. So he, on this possible, he says, it's all about, it's a Siman Liyom Matan Torah. The Ramadan connected them as well. He also connects them firmly. He says, it has to be that the Torah, it's called a Minchachadasha, because when we offer the offering, it's supposed to remind us 
that every day of our engagement with Torah is supposed to be as if today is the day we got it from Sinai. So he's emphasizing the idea of Chadasha, not in terms of the new grain, but Chadasha in terms of the sense of newness, the experience of newness. Okay, and then he points out, you'll notice that the verse never links the holiday to the giving of the Torah. Now, I could have imagined somebody saying, maybe that's because it's not really about the giving of the Torah, but that's not tradition. We saw the Ramban do it already. Everybody thinks that, everybody says that, that, uh, that it's the day of the Matan Torah, and they focus on the element of it being the day of Matan Torah, right? So if everybody's focused on that, then how come the Torah doesn't just say it? So the Kriya Kair says, it doesn't just say it, I'm sorry, it's because Hashem didn't want to restrict the giving of the Torah to a particular day. Because Hashem wanted us to know that every day should be as if the Torah was given that day. And every day is like a day of Matan Torah. So that's why, for example, the Sifrei in Bat Hanan says that there's a verse in the Torah that makes it sound like they were given to you today. And the idea is that every day is supposed to be completely new. So the Shtei Alechem is to tell us, first of all, it's a Mincha Chadashah to remind the Torah is completely new. And then he notices also it's Levin. And he points out that some people compare chametz to the Yetzirah, that the leavening of the bread is like the allowing our human will to leaven and to grow. And that's the reason people say why we shouldn't have it on Pesach. The problem is we have it during the rest of the year, and here we're having it as an offering. So the Kliyakar says, and because, and the Gemara, I'm sorry, Brachos calls it a source of yeast. That's the way the Gemara refers to it. It's like the yeast in the dough. It makes it leaven. So he says, we can have it on Shavuot, because where there is Torah, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, cannot cause its damage. And there's a Gemara in Kiddush that says exactly that, that says, God says, you know, I built the Yetzirah, I built the evil inclination, but I also built Torah as the antidote to it. Or so if you just study Torah, then yeah. So here too, we bring the Yetzirah, as it were, as a sacrifice, because we're showing that on this day of the giving of the Torah, we have the, the antidote to it. Now, there's something he doesn't say there because there should be a value in the chametz that's independent of this. Otherwise, why would we bother bringing it? But his point is, so there is probably, right? Leavened bread is probably better than matzah, even if it's the thick matzah that they used to make. But leavened is better. It has this danger of being the model or the symbol of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination. So the Kleikar says, good, but Torah gets rid of it. So he's not quite as elaborate as the Rambani. He focuses a little more narrowly on the fact of it being Chadasha of the new and of the fact of it being chametz, and he says he's teaching us two elements of our of our relationship to Torah. Element number one: the Torah is also supposed to be new for us, like exciting, and as if we got it today, and therefore embraced with that joy of as if we got it today. And second, that in the framework of Torah, now this is also a good idea that people can abuse because somebody could say, "Oh, I am a student of Torah; I don't have to worry about my Yitzhakara." And sadly. For many, many of us, and sadly, you see scandals periodically where true Torah scholars, but apparently took themselves, you know, relied on themselves too much and ended up doing embarrassing, let alone uh, evil and, and corrupt and, and scandalizing kinds of things. So you have to take the Kliakar carefully, but his idea is that in the world of Torah, the ability to overcome the Yitzhahara is the, the, the evil inclination is much stronger, is much better, is much more well developed. And then, I'm, I, I might be reading too much, but and then it, might, it opens the door 
to areas of life that might have been dangerous until then, but by virtue of our Torah study would be would be more would be more allowed. Right, so you know, it could be that generally we have to have matzah, which is let's assume for a second, taste-wise, inferior to chametz, which would be the reason why people generally eat chametz and not matzah. So we have to do that though, because we want to, because the chametz is the symbol of the leaven, is the symbol of the amalgamation. So to get around that, <clears throat> we use matzah. But when we are theoretically fully entrenched in Torah, and the day of the giving of the Torah is a symbol of that vision of it, so then it's not only that we want to, that, that we'll be able to conquer our Yitzhahara, that's interesting and important, but it'll also mean there are things that until then we shouldn't have done, they'll be allowed to. Years ago, I had a teacher, a, a, a Torah teacher, who said to me, you know, at some point in your life, you should study whatever topic it was. It's true, but you have to wait till you're ready for it. So once you're, you know, enough in the Torah world, then you can do certain things. So that's an important piece of it as well. So for the Ramban, we had Shavuos and the Shtelechem teaching us about the progression of bringing Torah into our lives, moving from an ordinary human life into a Torah-filled life. For the Kliyakar, we had the idea that a Torah-filled life, first off, the Torah should be embraced with the kind of enthusiasm of its first day. And second, that Torah helps us conquer or at least suppress or at least beat back our baser selves as well as uh, allows things that might until then not be allowed. There is, There have been, for example, another example just comes to my mind, there have been people in the more, whatever right word, the correct word is for it, but in the more right-wing or Torah world, whatever, who are willing to embrace secular studies for those who have a higher level of Torah education. That once you reach a certain level, that's when you go off and study other stuff. So that'd be an example of if you're, if you're entrenched enough in Torah, then the Yetzirahara has been sufficiently uh, suppressed, sufficiently restrained, that it opens up new windows. Last piece, just very quickly, Rav Shem Shemfil Hirsch says also, right, this is telling us the time of the holiday, the holiday of Shavuot is always connected to bringing this, these sacrifices to Shteya Omer. It's after we brought the original Omer, 50 days later. And he points out, as I did last time, that it's not always going to be the sixth of the month, right? It's going to be the sixth, it might be the fifth, it might be the seventh, right? And he says too, so, um, and he brings up the Magad Avram we, we mentioned before, that um, that the Magad Avram said it's connected to Torah, to giving of the Torah, then we're getting the wrong date of it. So he quotes Rav Samson Rafael Hirsch, quotes a Gemara Rosh Hashanah that says, Atzeret Pamim Kamisha, sometimes it's the fifth of the month, sometimes it's the sixth of the month, sometimes it's the seventh of the month. So he says, if the Torah wanted the holiday to be on the day of the giving of the Torah itself, it should have said that. It should have said, this is the day, which the Torah never actually says what day the Torah was given. And then it should have said the holiday for that. So what does he do? So he says, first says, I think it's because the Torah wants us to say, don't make a holiday on the day of the giving of the Torah. Make the holiday on the day you bring the Bikurim, or 50th day from bringing the Omer, without thinking about the date of the month to tell you that it's not the day of the giving of the Torah that matters. For the Rav Samson Rafael Hirsch, what matters is it's the day of the completion of our counting to the giving of the Torah. I mean, we leave Egypt, <clears throat> we know we're about to get the Torah. In the original year from Egypt, they got the Torah on the 50th day after they left. What day of the month was that? Doesn't matter. And for Rav Shemesh Hirsch, it doesn't matter because the issue the, or the essential piece of it, the exciting piece of it, the important piece of it was the Jewish people's excitement over 
getting the Torah, their anticipation in counting the giving of the Torah. And that's what we renew every year. That's what we do. So if it turns out that in our year, Shavuot is the fifth day of year, but the Torah is actually given on the sixth, or the Torah was actually given on the seventh in that year, and we give it. We don't care because it's not the day of the calendar that we care about. It's that it's the end of that process and that progression. And that's the exciting thing for us. And that's what we're celebrating. And that's what we're supposed to celebrate. So you have three models, very, very similar to each other, with very important points to make for us in ways that I truly believe could hasten the redemption if only we absorb them correctly. The holiday of Pesach, we celebrate. And we celebrate the Exodus. Remember the Exodus, that's all great. But what we're finding out is that embedded in that holiday was the beginning of a count, a count that has an agricultural aspect to it. It allowed us to eat our new grain, but a count that many, many commentators connect also to the anticipation of the giving of the Torah. Now, I pointed out they're connected anyway because the holiday of Shavuot has the Shtei Alechem to it, which celebrates the use of the new grain in our Beit HaMikdash lives, our temple lives, and our then that's a model of our service of God life. So even there, they have a connection to each other. But it's about the fact that we're moving from the mundane to the religious spiritual service of God. It's about the feeling for the Kliyakar. That was a Ramban. For the, it's about the feeling for the Kliyakar of newness and of, of being renewed and rejuvenated every day and of feeling like uh, it teaches us the ways to suppress our baser selves and to be in control of ourselves. And that's the Kliyakar's idea, which, as I pointed out, uh, implicitly also gives us greater freedom to do things that have value, but also have danger. And then you have Rosh Hashem Phil Hirsch talking about the fact that it's the anticipation that's the key element of it. So I think and I hope that we put all these things together successfully and remember them all the time. The anticipation of learning correctly of what God wants from us. The moving from recognizing that we have ordinary human lives, moving from there to recognizing that we have a God-service life, right? And that doing it with anticipation, with an excitement, with a newness to it, and realizing that that's the way to control ourselves. These are all the elements of, and move on next time to a Jewish society in Israel. So these are the ways of that Pesach and Shavuot together show us how we can make this year, God willing, the year when we don't again have to experience the Shabbat all over again, because we'll have the key building blocks for how to avoid it for the future. So that's our topic for today. Next time, we'll pick up the idea of a melech of the Jewish polity with a king and the role of a king in the Jewish polity. Thanks for joining.